This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. <laughs> Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the program. Stacey Washington, the Second Amendment Foundation's 2018 Journalist of the Year. I'm actually going to be speaking at their conference again this year. I'll be uh, down in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, speaking on a panel, I assume. They haven't really given me any details except that they want me to come down and speak again. Um, and last year, I was a speaker on a panel with some good friends, Mark Walters of Armed American Radio and uh, um, Stephen Gutowski of the O award-winning Washington Free Beacon and some others. And we were, we were actually on there talking about firearms and second amendment and safety and everything. Um, and then later in the awards ceremony, I was given the honor of being the journalist of the year for 2018. And so it's going to be really fun to get back together with all my gun pals again. I missed the NRA convention this spring due to family commitments. It actually happened at the same time that Sherathon happened when I, with my old employer. And it was actually the same weekend uh, also as our son's birthday. And so I ended up just not being able to make it. But we will uh, be covering a number of fun things from there. I hope to get some interviews that I can bring back to you here on the show. And uh, it's just going to be really fun. So speaking of fun... We're going to be talking about a few things today. So uh, one of the, 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 I guess it's a pleasure, if you will, of doing a live podcast and, you know, then having, you to, you know, you get to comment on what's going on with the news is that there's a, a whole, there's like a reactionary level to things, but then there's after the aftermath. And I think a lot of people are kind of sitting around counting the cost of the Mueller investigation. And, and I have to say there's a comparison type of an atmosphere going on. And I'm, I'm feeling like after giving it some thought, you know how it is you step away from something for a minute and you get to think it through. I really feel as if there's, there's a, a, a connector or a correlation between what we saw with the Kavanaugh debacle. The Democrats expected to be able to take him down the same way they took down Herman Cain, but they wanted it done in an even more spectacular fashion. That's why the women that were brought out, brought out these, I mean, these were stories straight out of, you know, a Hollywood um, film. The the stories that were being told were right out of Hollywood. They were fictional type stories about the things that Kavanaugh did. You know, an actual choir boy who uh, he he documented his entire childhood in calendars because his dad taught him to. A man who could actually tell you what day of the summer his junior year he attended a party at so and so's house. He doesn't just remember it. He can go back and tell you what day it happened. Um, they tried to take him down and not only were they unsuccessful, but they created this, there's now this mystique around it where there's a lot of speculation on how they're going to handle the next Supreme court nomination. The president will probably get one more before the end of his term. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the one who I think could possibly be the next on the, you know, available to retire or, or what have you. And I wish her no ill. I'm just talking about what the lay of the land looks like. And so when you think about it that way, it's like, okay, so this could happen again. But Democrats are really, they're discombobulated. They don't know what they're going to do when this comes up again, because if he nominates a woman, they'll have to take her down in a different way. I mean, I guess they could bring out a bunch of men who say that they you know, were sexually harassed by any female nominee, but that'll be a first. And it would be very difficult for them to sell that to the American people. Meanwhile, they have this problem. Um, and, I, you know, the problem that I see them having is right here in this moment because of the Mueller. It's, it's a crashing and burning type of a thing. Crashing, burning, uh, completely dying out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's like a, a dumpster fire. And that's what happened yesterday. Their expectations couldn't have been as high as they couldn't have been high at all. Yet that's what we saw. We actually saw them. It was like the burning down of their house. So 
in the light of a new day, it doesn't look any better than it did yesterday. In fact, it looks a lot worse. And when people naturally compare the Mueller, you know, uh, testimony before Congress to the Kavanaugh hearings, that's not a good look. That's not a good comparison. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that cracks out. And I want to also the, on the rest of the show today, we're going to be discussing um, U.S. manufacturers pledging to train 1.2 million workers. Uh, they have a skilled worker shortage here in the U.S. And instead of every time we have a skilled skilled shortage of any kind, they just run across uh, the ocean and, and grab some people from a foreign country. It's a good idea for them to say, you know what? Americans need to do these jobs. We can train them to do these jobs and they can change the outlook of multiple millions, really, because 1.2 million workers think of the family members that they have, think of the families they're supporting, think of their futures. Their futures involve everyone who's in their family. So that could change the lives of multiple millions of Americans and children specifically whose parents may be out of work right now or worse than that, parents that they don't have job prospects. They just are unskilled and they're working in low-skilled labor. Those children, their parents a life change for them means a total life change for those kids. That's why I'm so adamant about making sure that we have our America first agenda, that that's not racist, that that's not something that we're doing because, you know, we hate other people, that we're, we're on that track because we do care about the futures of American kids, not just protecting them from abortion, but after they are born and they're in the world, you know, living and trying to, to basically to grow that their parents would have opportunities. And uh, this, so this is a great development. We'll get into that. And then I don't know if you heard, but Facebook has actually agreed to pay a record fine over privacy concerns, $5 billion. You know, your company's huge when you can agree to pay a $5 billion fine. Uh, so we'll, we'll dig into that. But right now I, I have to talk about this story because it dovetails into a ton of different things that are going on around the country right here in Missouri. We have had, remember, we had the heartbeat legislation signed into law. I went down to Jeff City and a bunch of us, we, we all gave speeches and we were joyously thanking the governor and everyone who was involved in the process, including the legislators, to bring this kind of bill forward. And remember, the legislators at, in the Missouri House of Representatives and the, in the Senate, this, those are state legislators that are elected by Missourians. So whenever something happens that Democrats don't like in our Republican-controlled legislature, they bring something forward using the ACLU. They sue and they get it to the appellate court, which is run by Democrats. They even take it to the Missouri Supreme Court, which is not completely run by Democrats, but has, you know, lefty leanings. So when I talk about and I'm look, y'all know I'm pro-life. I'm never going to be not pro-life. But I do understand that some people have concerns, people who don't understand that babies who are the product of rape are still people too. They want exceptions to the law. But instead of going back during the next legislative session, and that starts in January, and you know, bringing that forward as legislation or sending some people who have that as their primary goal to the legislature, no, they're just going to sue and take it to court. And this is so typical Democrat. So we are now going to have to fight that. Um... Oh, and newsflash, the president's going to be on Hannity tonight, just in case you're wanting to hear him directly. Although, you know, I so I'm on the White House press corps. I do enjoy listening to him and videos, and I get the links whenever he's doing a gaggle. We also get the transcript. If he's outside the White House headed to Marine One and he stops and does a gaggle with reporters, we always get the transcript of that. But it's a total other thing when he goes on Fox and he's on Hannity. Like, that's a, that's him at another level. So that happens tonight. Uh, he'll be on Hannity tonight. I just saw that flash across my screen. So this story is of interest because normally, um, well, I can't say normally, but statistically speaking, most babies who are born to a drug addicted mom, they, they don't, they don't die. If they make it through birth, if they survive that, they're usually put in a NICU and they stay there for months on end until they can be weaned off of the drugs and they survive. And then Oftentimes by then, you know, the mom will have been charged with something and often it's it's not related to the babies being born drug addicted and then the mom's in prison and so the babies are fostered or adopted out. But this is a unique case because it kind of points to the impact of pro-life legislation. So you've got this woman in Tennessee. She actually gives birth and then the babies die. And when they do an autopsy, they find drugs in the baby's system. Now they're twins. They were born prematurely. 
And they, of course, they died at the hospital. They never made it home. The woman's name is Tiffany Marie Roberts. She's 29 years old. And this happened in Chattanooga. She was charged with viable fetus as victim and aggravated child abuse or neglect in connection with her infant children's deaths. Roberts tested positive for drugs in her system, including cocaine, oxycodone, roxycodone, methamphetamine, and benzo benzodiazepine, benzodiazepine. Uh, on three different occasions when she went to the doctor for checkups while she was still pregnant, she was testing positive for drugs. So they have a picture of her and she is, you know, the, the image of her is obviously she's, she's someone who is really bound up by this drug addiction. Um, so this is it. This is not one of those stories where I'm gleefully, oh, you know, look at what, no, I think this is a, a tragedy, two dead babies and this woman going up for, for their deaths. It's just, it's awful. She said um, that she admitted to taking ecstasy the same day the twins were born and they were born and died two days afterwards at Children's Hospital. She's also tested positive for several narcotics and including cocaine at the time the twins were born. So this is an ongoing problem that she had for her entire pregnancy. Um, so the, the fact that they're charging her with this crime is the part that's that's kind of unique and different. And so we'll have to see how it plays out. If they let her plead to something lesser, you know she's going to jail for a time, but we don't, you know, there's no telling how this is actually going to be handled when it gets to a judge um, and how they're going to kind of let it work its way through. But it is, it is, it's sad, it's depressing, and it's something that we never hear Democrats talk about. They don't talk about the opioid epidemic. They don't talk about the increase in drug abuse. They don't talk about the breakdown of families. They only talk about things that they can get the government to do to take money from people who are earning it. And I I think that's depressing. And and it's a point to be made for us to not forget that there is, there is an agenda here and uh, it's wrong. So now I want to talk a little bit about, you guys know I'm, I'm on Facebook obviously. And um, I want to make sure if you're, if you think you're hearing me on AFR, like, and I'm just, you know, tearing it up over there, I'm not on AFR anymore. So you're not listening to me. This is just a PSA for people who might be thinking that you did not hear me on AFR because I haven't been on there since June 21st. That was the last time I was live on the air on AFR. So you're not hearing me on AFR. Okay. So just in case you're wondering. Um, so I, this is an interesting story that kind of connects up with this person that I follow on Instagram. So she's a person who does like um, makeovers on people and she does fashion advising and then she has a makeup line. So this is something that I sometimes watch on Instagram in my free time, y'all. And so what she was talking about in one of her videos, I I found a YouTube video of hers early this morning when I kind of, I woke up, I couldn't get back to sleep. So I watched this video of hers and she was in her closet talking about cleaning out, you know, getting rid of stuff that you don't wear. And she was taking stuff that she really, really liked, but she was making a decision about whether or not to keep it. So she actually then went on to explain later in the video, she was interviewed and they were asking her about how she ended up having such a huge following on Facebook. And she said that she was having a reach of around three to 10,000, you know, per video. So not a ton, like kind of like me, where I have two or 3,000, sometimes a thousand, where I used to have 18,000 reach on my videos. Um, just, I could just shoot a video and it would be 18, anything live would be 18,000. And anything that I did where I just did a video and it was about politics and it was about three minutes long or less, 200,000, 500,000, you know, really good numbers. So here's where our two stories intersect. She then said that one day she got a call from Facebook and they flew her out to California. She's a British citizen. She lives in the UK. And they talked to her about something new they were doing called Facebook Live. This is a few years ago. And she said she'd been using the little live feature because when it was rolled out, if you had a page with any numbers at all, you were able to use it. And so I was able to use it. I, I, I was like immediately able to use lives. She was using it and talking about fashion. So they flew her out and they said, if you're willing to do them more frequently, like on a regular basis, like every Friday you have something you're doing and every, you know, so basically you're doing a live every day. We'll help you with your reach. So she said, sure, I'd love to. I'm, we're already having fun. Let me talk to my team. And, you know, because she was, she does this TV show called Trini Takeover where she takes a woman over and runs her all over London and they go to the high street, they buy clothes, and then the woman gets her hair done and her face done. Kind of like what not to wear, but it's in Great Britain. So she agrees to do it. And when she gets back to the UK, 
the next live video she does and all the ones after that, the smallest reach they have is 150,000. From 3,000 to 150,000. So obviously that's not fair. We'll get into some more of that when we get back. Stay right there. Stacey on the right. It's 4 a.m. Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit SaveTheFood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Okay, man, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Show the world that you're tougher than tough. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Okay, so we're back. Um, thank you so much for being here today. Find out more at stacyontheright.com and also follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Stacy on the Right. Um, and of course, share the podcast. Just post it simply. You don't have to tell people why. Listen.stacyontheright.com. Share it so we can grow those numbers. Um, so we were talking as we went out to the break about um, this this woman, Trini, Trini Woodhall, who I've, I have nothing against this woman. I've, in fact, I, I like her videos. Um, but she was able to get help with her reach because Facebook liked her content. And so they were boosting it for her. No, no charge. She didn't have to pay for advertising. She didn't have to do anything. She just showed up when they asked her to, said, yeah, I'll do more videos, and then they boosted her content. So now let's uh, carry over to the story that I found over at PJ Media. So this is why people are so angry at Facebook. This is why there was a social media summit at the White House and the president was talking about the people who were there, which coincidentally, I so there was a survey that went out. I was on the list that the survey went to 
and I didn't pay attention. In other words, it just moved down in my email box and I never went back to it. And so I never took it. And that was the survey that helped them decide which people were going to be coming. Aside from social media influence, meaning how big the, their footprint is on social media, it was a survey about whether or not you felt you had been limited by Facebook unfairly because you're conservative. Had I taken that survey, I may have been on the list to be invited to that. So I am kind of gnashing my teeth over that. But, you know... um, Regardless, I'm glad the president had the summit and then he called attention to the bias that Facebook exhibits. And what she said, while it's great for her and her business, is proof positive that Facebook chooses who they want to win. It's not a neutral public platform. It's a place where some people are chosen and others are pushed out and suppressed. So that brings us to this story. Do you recall Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all in white, standing next to a, a fence, a chain link fence, and she's bent over crying because she's seeing something awful. I saw that and I said to myself, that is a photo op. There's probably nothing on the other side of that fence. I guarantee it. Now, she did travel to the border and take a tour of the facilities, but she didn't see anything that made her cry. Here's the proof. And this link is in the show notes. So when the podcast goes live today at about 3.30, if you want to see this story or click through, you can. Just head over to listen.stacyontheright.com. Um, so Facebook and PolitiFact are protecting AOC from criticism. So the story is written by Jim Treacher. He's a regular over at PJ Media. And he says, when I posted a quick item last month about AOC standing in front of a chain link fence and weeping at an empty strip of pavement, the other side, I didn't think much of it. I just thought it was amusing that she posed for the cameras, got the publicity she wanted, and then was embarrassed when other photos taken at the scene proved that basically she was looking at nothing. So there were a lot of tweets about it. But the pictures that matter are the ones of the photographer. So some people took pictures of the photographer taking her picture. She's standing in front of a chain link fence, all dressed all in white, and she's emoting. On the other side of the chain link fence is a parking lot with cars in it. No people. Another image shows the photographer himself being careful to show her just her reaction and not what she's reaction to or reacting to. Because there's a vehicle and a tree on the other side, and that's it. No children, no illegal aliens, no no dastardly scenes of oppression by U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, none of that. Another picture shows the full shot. She's standing there looking sad, and on the other side is a parking lot, a white car, um, a lot of pavement. There's, there aren't many cars parked there. And a U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agent just walking along. You know how you know how you walk when you're at work and no one's looking at you and you don't realize you're being looked at. You just walk and you might have your head, you know, tilted over to one side and you're just deep in your own thoughts. He's just walking, looking down at the ground. He doesn't even know he's a part of a photo op. Now, there are some alternative angle shots showing first it shows AOC hugging someone, and, you know, with tears streaming down her face. The other scene shows the guy I, I just mentioned to you. He's just walking. You know, just living, living his life. She wasn't looking at illegal aliens being abused. She wasn't looking at immigrants at all. She weeped over an empty parking lot. So fast forward to today. You've got PolitiFact taking issue with that assessment. So PolitiFact says that the article that Jim Treacher wrote last month about this is not correct because it's a road, an empty road. And that there are some tents hundreds of yards away, but they're not close enough for her to be able to see anyone being abused. So they deemed his article false on their PolitiFact truth meter So if you look at that and you think to yourself, well, a lot of people probably saw the story that AOC put out because she has four and a half million followers on Twitter. And a lot of people probably saw the PolitiFact truth meter that Jim Treacher wrote a false article about her when he didn't. But what about the truth? She wept over an empty parking lot or an empty road, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't people. And she, he had to post that correction that it was an empty road, not a parking lot, so that they would take the PolitiFact meter off of it. So what they're doing is they're making him adjust his post to reflect what they wanted to say in order to get the bad rating off and to allow it to be shown to everyone on Facebook. And you guys know they did this to me too. Uh, I posted a meme that was a joke. They said the content wasn't true and they started 
basically fact checking underneath my post and saying the the image shown above by Stacy on the right show has been deemed to be false. Click here to learn more. And then it takes you to Snopes where it says that the meme is false. But it's a joke. So it's it's not about it being true or not. If a meme is posted for entertainment, it's not about the factualness of it. It's a joke. They did that to me. I had people messaging me. They're fact checking you. I'm unliking your page. I'm like, see ya. Be gone. I don't care if you leave because I posted a joke meme and then Facebook didn't like it and now you're mad. You should go. You're you're getting triggered for nothing. But this just goes to show you that if you post the truth about AOC, they're going to try to drive the truth off of your page because as I demonstrated with the story about Trini London, they know who they want to promote. They know who they want to put out there as someone who your, their content is ubiquitous and you can see it everywhere. Even if you're not interested in makeup, you're going to see posts from her and advertisements from her and sponsored posts from her. But anything from PJ Media or Jim Treacher or Stacy on the right, that stuff's going to be suppressed and you're not, you're going to have to seek it out. I can't tell you how many times it's happened just last week. Someone said, I'll, I haven't seen any posts from you in so long. And I came to your page and I was like, oh my goodness, she's still here. She's been posting all the time. She's even doing a live stream. I'm like, yeah, we've been doing that for a while. She's like, well, I hadn't seen anything from you. You know how we are out of sight, out of mind. If you don't see something, you don't think about it. But it is, it, it's crazy pants to have this going on. So the, the thing that I want to, you know, the reason why I'm pointing this out to you, it's two things. First of all, when you hear someone say that, The Republicans are persecuting Facebook or they don't like social media giants or, you know, they're just making stuff up. There's no real issue. There is an issue. I have no problem with Facebook saying, you know, we like Trini Woodall's content. We want to spread it around. We want to promote it. No problem with that. My problem is when they say, I don't like Stacey on the right's content and I want to suppress it. And so I'm not going to let her followers, let alone new people, just the people who actually click the like button or follow button or hit the notifications button said they want to see it. Those people can't be allowed to see it. And that's the problem that I have with it. Uh, and the reason it's important to you is because Facebook has been proven to shift votes. They show different search results uh, and Google showed different search results to suburban women and moved millions of votes in the 2016 election. And if you don't think they're planning on doing that again, you're not paying attention. They want to move the votes. They want to make this into something that is utterly under their control because I'm I want to be exact in my words. I don't want to accept. I'm not fear mongering here. I'm reporting to you exactly what's happening. Um, so that, that story is also up in the show notes. Um, so that's still on the subject of Facebook. Let's finish this off. Facebook is to pay a record $5 billion in a U.S. fine over privacy violations, but critics are calling it a bargain. So, uh, this, this story is kind of infuriating because $5 billion should be enough to break a company, but it's Facebook. So it's not even a dent in their pocketbook. They're going to pay a record-breaking $5 billion fine to resolve a government probe into its privacy practices, and they will also restructure its their approach to privacy. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission has issued this report on what they're actually going to do. The FTC voted 3-2 to two along party lines to adopt a settlement which requires court approval, even as Democrats said the settlement did not go far enough or require a large enough fine. So apparently, the Republicans are fine with this, and the Democrats want to see a more aggressive punishment of Facebook. Now, I don't know why the Democrats would be wanting to punish Facebook at all when they do everything they want. But anyway, so uh, you got FTC Chairman Joe Simons, who's a Republican, saying despite repeated promises to their billions of users worldwide, they're going to that that they could control how personal information is shared. Facebook undermined uh, the consumer's choices. And Democratic FTC Commissioner Rohit Chopra said the penalty provided blanket immunity for Facebook executives and no real restraints on Facebook's business model and does not fix the core problems that led to the violations. Now, I think the core problem that leads to the violations with Facebook is that it's run by Mark Zuckerberg and he has a problem judging the emotions of other people. And and this is nothing against people who have that problem or are suffering from um, Asperger's or autism or anything like that. This is not me being mean to people who have that as something they're struggling with, but I'm speaking specifically of Mark Zuckerberg. He has that problem. He does not know how to judge the emotions of others. He does not see privacy as a concern for regular people, only for him and his wife and his family. And therefore he repeatedly violates the privacy of others. And unless he is punished severely, he will continue to do so as the majority 
owner of Facebook. He controls everything that they do. And so ultimately this is his responsibility yet because he looks kind of like, um, like someone who's never been in the sun and data had a baby. That's what he looks like. If you've ever seen star Trek, uh, star Trek, the next generation, just Google it. If you're younger and you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a Android on there. Its name is data and it has this really weird colored skin because it's an Android. That's that. That's what Mark Zuckerberg reminds me of. He he lacks the ability to understand human emotions, especially outrage over having your privacy violated. He's been doing it serially since he started Facebook. That was his first act. The start of Facebook was a violation of the privacy of the people at Harvard University who had signed up for his internal messaging system. When he made it public without telling them, he violated their privacy. And he did it over and over and over again. And he's going to keep doing it. So... The FTC Republican majority has argued that the settlement significantly diminishes Zuckerberg's power, something no government agency anywhere in the world thus far has accomplished. But um, they're also kind of basically heralding this decision because they say if they had actually gone to court, no judge would have imposed a penalty as large as this one. And they co- they're calling it a complete home run. Now, the FTC has also issued a statement saying that Zuckerberg or others who file false certifications could face civil and criminal penalties. And they're also, Facebook is also barred from asking for email passwords to other services when consumers sign up. Facebook is barred from using telephone numbers obtained in a security feature like two-factor authentication for advertising and must get user consent if it plans to use data from facial recognition technology. So that can tell you where this is all going. That that gives you an idea. Like where you, if you think it to yourself, where is Facebook going? Kids don't like it. I, all of the youth that I know that are in my in my in my world, I should say, um, through our children, none of them like Facebook. They feel like, well, first of all, they feel like all their parents are on it, therefore it can't be cool. And the rest of them hate it because they feel like it's a privacy violator. They like Instagram, but they know Instagram's owned by Facebook, so they feel like it's just you know, basically the, the wicked, cuter, younger sister of, of Facebook. Um, they like WhatsApp and uh, Snapchat. <laughs> and they like communicating with each other through their gaming consoles because they can play on their Nintendo Switch and communicate with each other while they're doing that. And, of course, just straight up texting. So there's some interesting, uh, there's some interesting aspects to this, but... The most important thing for us to remember is that Facebook left unchecked is the ultimate in um, artificial intelligence coupled with human evil that would ultimately subvert the rights, every right you have in the Constitution. If Facebook was left alone and unregulated, it would subvert those rights for its own aims because the people at Facebook absolutely know that they know more than you, they know better than you, and that they have your best interest at heart. And if you would only just give them some more of your personal information, they'd show you. So, um, I, it's, it's kind of infuriating, but there it is. So going, (laughs) going back to, um, the whole, uh, Al Franken, do you, do you remember when Al Franken was in the news? Well, let me run this down for you really quickly. Um, so Kirsten Gillibrand, presidential candidate on the democratic side is having some trouble because there are all of these pictures with her hugged up with Bill Clinton and Harvey Weinstein and also um, Al Franken. Now, remember, she was one of the first ones to say she wanted Al Franken to resign. But now the Democrats are doing a huge PR push to try to resurrect Al Franken and bring him back after his exile. They want to reinject some life into his his political career and bring him back because they like him. He was a reliable guy for them. And he was kind of well liked in, in his district where he came from. So. Yeah, she demanded that um, that Al, Al Franken resign as a senator, but now they're starting to call on her and, and say, you know, so it's your fault that he resigned. It's not actually true that he resigned because of Kirsten Gillibrand, because she had not yet announced she was running for the presidency, and she's only been in the Senate uh, for roughly 10 years. So she's not even like when you think of the powerhouses in the U.S. Senate on the Democratic side, she's not one of them. She is running for president now. She has a lot more name recognition than she did when she called for his resignation. But it's not her fault that he resigned. 
But this is the the Democrats eating their own again. And I, I can tell you, I'm sitting back with my hot latte, just thanking God that they're turning their guns on each other because like, who cares? I, I guess the big deal is who cares about Al Franken coming back other than it hurts Kirsten Gillibrand because now they're fighting about it. This is the Democrats. This is where they are. All right, when we get back, we'll take calls and more on Stacey Other Egg. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba, please be done. Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey there. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, <laughs> so it's a very interesting time in politics. And uh, I, I thought it was pretty interesting that uh, we can look at who people are supporting out of Hollywood and kind of see who the favorite is for the presidential election. Um, and when I say the favorite, I'm talking about who they hope the nominee will be. Remembering, of course, that um, the the nomination process is controlled largely by the DNC. And last time it was controlled by Hillary Clinton to the disadvantage of Bernie Sanders. This time his numbers are tanking. He's he's on the downtrend and others are trending upward. So it's less likely that he'll be cheated rather than he's just not going to be chosen because people think he sounds like a crazy old guy. Um, nothing against old guys, by the way, unless you're crazy. So uh, the the 
big deal with looking at Hollywood is that it can also point to where their dollars are going to go and their donor dollars can play a huge impact on um, who actually kind of trends upward because that money can go towards increasing name ID, get out the vote efforts, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so I want to take a look at that. And again, you can find this at the uh, listen.staceyontheright.com if you want to check out the show notes. So this list of Hollywood's top power players shows that they're backing a favorite candidate, but also yields surprising snubs. So for Hollywood's most powerful names, the person that they want to be the nominee the most is Senator Kamala Harris. Um, they are actually members of the Hollywood 100. It's a list of the most powerful people in the entertainment industry, and they're ranked annually by the Hollywood Reporter. Um, and so... The Hollywood Reporter shows that these people are overwhelmingly supporting Kamala Harris. According to FCC election data, um, 48% of the 2020 donations that were made by those listed on the Hollywood 100 were for Harris's campaign to the tune of $73,580. Now that's significant because that's the first bite. That's them just kind of, you know, oh, who do we like? And then they write, you know, they just write a little check. This is not all they're going to write. This is just some, you know, they're just sending off a little something just to get things started. Now, 15% of the total donations went to former Vice President Joe Biden. 15%. Say it again. The the favorite in the polls only garnered 15% from the Hollywood elites. He got a paltry 22,400, which put him in second place, but still far lagging behind Kamala Harris. Senators Amy Klobuchar, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Cory Booker each saw donations from members of the list, which amounted to just over 10000 each. So what it looks like is if you just rank them in order, that it would be President Joe Biden would be the vice president candidate for Kamala Harris. But we all know he's not running in the VP slot for a second time. He's not going to be the vice president of the United States again. So that means it's really... Joe Biden's out. He's lost favor. Kamala Harris would be the nominee. And then they would choose between Amy Klobuchar, Kirsten Gillibrand, or Cory Booker. So who's missing from that? If you're like me, when I was first reading this, I'm like, wait, that means that Pocahontas is not in the running. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who are front runners for the nomination, didn't get any money. At this point, Discovery CEO David Zaslav has been the most generous donor, though none of the 200000 he has contributed has gone to any of the presidential candidates. Zaslav has also given $100,000 to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's political action committee and 89400 to the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. The next most generous donor has been Walt Disney Studios co-chairman Alan Horn, who has given more than 191000 including maxed-out donations to Harris, Biden, Booker, and Gillibrand, and contributions to Democratic campaign organizations and Democratic senators Mark Warner and Gary Peters. So this dude is laying out some serious cash, which leads me to wonder a couple of things. First of all, where are the Democrats wailing about how he has too much money and it should be taken from him? Oh, yeah, he's in the entertainment industry, so they don't care that he's rich. Just imagine... If it was some business person like the Waltons, whenever the the Koch brothers who are no longer supporting Republican Party politics, by the way, um, or any of the others that were that, you know, they're rich, but they did it through business. Whenever they give even one hundred thousand dollars to anybody, it's oh, look at the rich. We should take that money from him. This is why we need Citizens United. But you never hear Democrats talk about Citizens United when it comes to their people, Hollywood folks donating to their people, Democratic candidates, because it just occurred to me. Just speaking, just being real here, if I had $191,000 just laying around, would I give it to a political candidate? Like, what would I do with that money if I had that money laying around? I, I can think of at least 20 things, and none of them are that. None of them. And, I, and I'm certainly not destitute. I'm not complaining. I'm not saying these people don't deserve the money that they earned. But I am saying if you think about this from the perspective of the way Democrats think about the Waltons, um, the Kochs, and others who have money, they always think of it as, look at all that money they have. They don't deserve it. It should be taken from them. I should have that money. They should have that money redistributed out to people. They're not paying their employees enough. 
well, Disney must not be paying their employees enough if he has 191000 laying around to do whatever he wants with it. That's not for me. That's using their logic. Uh, so you also have mega director and producer J.J. Abrams of Star Trek and Star Wars fame having donated to the DCCC uh, and the Senatorial Campaign Committee for the Democrats. Harris, all of his donations total 159600 Others have spread their donations around. Uh, Managing director of ICM Partners, Chris Silberman, contributed to Harris, Biden, Booker, Gillibrand, Bennett, as well as Pelosi's PAC. So what's important about this? So they're just lining up behind the Democrats like they always do. Uh, It's not a shocker, but the numbers are interesting. Uh, I'd be interested to see a comparison between these numbers in the last campaign cycle. Uh, Some of the people here, like Disney's uh, CEO, Bob Iger, He's only done 49500 so far. Uh, so ahead of the midterms, 99.7% of the 2018 campaign donations made by members of the THR Entertainment Power List went to Democratic campaigns and committees with only Lauren Michaels, Don, John Stanky, and Bob Bakish giving to Republicans. Again, the THR Entertainment Power List, 99.7% of the people on it gave to Democrats. So when people say that Hollywood is locked up for the Democrats, they're not kidding. When people say that the Democrats uh, you know, only care about protecting Hollywood and Hollywood's trying to destroy America's families and the children specifically, and the Democrats don't care, the proof is right here, right here in who they're donating to. They scratch their back. The, the Hollywood elite scratch the back of the Democrats and the Democrats leave them alone to continue to pump garbage into our kids' minds unless we actually wake up and say, hey, I'm in control of what my kids watch. I'm in control of what they listen to. I'm in control of how much of this they consume. And I'm going to take pa- the reins of power and I'm going to show m- and exert my authority over these kids, not because I want to control them per se, but because I want to protect them from the garbage that's coming out of Hollywood. And that's it. So this is an interesting story. Um, you've had Douglas Elmhoff. Um, where there's this big, huge fundraiser hosted by the Scooter Braun. His name's Scooter Braun. He has a $20 million palace in Brentwood, Los Angeles. And a lot of people were there. So you might be thinking, well, who's a lot of people? Well, um, it was Douglas Elmhoff and Kamala Harris and uh, Ariana Grande and the one who sang about kissing a girl, whatever her name was. Yeah, the Hollywood. They're all standing around with Kamala Harris. So what we know is that Kamala Harris looks like their presumed front runner in the same way that Hillary was their presumed front runner. And I can tell you, Donald Trump, he's not... He's not concerned. If it's Kamala, he will tear her up just like he did Hillary Clinton. Uh, and, and I can't wait for it. For people who are upset that the president tweets, you're going to be really glad that he's that he tweets and he's kept his irons hot and his tongue sharp for when he has to go up against Kamala Harris with her angry school marm voice. You're going to be real glad that he's uh, prepared and, and ready to take her on. Um, so... Turning to the media and saving the journalism, there's a new poll out by Pew. It's a Pew assessment of media landscape, which shows that Facebook and Google are actually crippling newsrooms. And this is a Pew Research Center, so hardly a right-leaning outlet. And they release an assessment every year. The name of the assessment is called State of the News Media. And in this particular assessment, the news is horrible. Digital ad revenue has grown exponentially, but the majority of that ad revenue goes to Facebook, 40%, and Google, 12%, rather than to publishers. U.S. newspaper print circulation reached its lowest level since 1940, while digital subscriptions actually rose. So this has increased the necessity for growth in digital advertising revenue. Advertising revenue for news publishers fell by more than $2 billion, which is a 13% decrease from 2017. Now, What Pew does is they look at ad revenue. They look at just everything having to do with how the news industry is funded and their relationships with their partners. And Facebook and Google have disrupted those relationships. Uh, So Pew says that revenue from ads placed on digital platforms now make up nearly half of all revenue in the United States. 
and I'm talking about ad revenue. So half of all ad revenue. I want to be specific there. One third of newspaper ad revenue comes from digital advertising. But for some reason, the total of the ad revenue continues to fall. Now, the answer to why what why that is, Facebook and Google are strangling America's newsrooms for the sake of profits in their pockets. They're at fault for the immense issue ravaging America's newsrooms and suffocating the critical access to information that the free press provides. So this goes back to what we were talking about earlier here on the show, and it all connects up. So it's almost as if all of these different news sites, I'm talking about PJ Media, Pew Research, um, Fox News, all these different people are writing about similar stories, and the stories add up to this. What they add up to is Facebook and Google aim to be in control of everything, and the way that they do that is to allow the natural progression to occur. Because at first, the newsrooms, remember, the newsrooms love Facebook and Google at first. They were getting a lot of clicks from Facebook and Google. But what they didn't realize was that for every click, that meant someone was skipping buying the newspaper because they've already got a phone in their hand. They've already got a tablet in their purse or their, or, you know, in their, in their uh, laptop case. They don't need to buy a newspaper. They don't need the subscription. And it's not like the subscriptions were breaking their backs. The newspaper subscriptions are really affordable, but people opted for the digital copies because what can you do with a newspaper? If you want to tell somebody what's in it, you have to type out what's in it or tell them. But if you want to share something with your husband or your kids or something, you just click the link, copy it and send it in a group text. And now everyone's reading the same article. The problem is once Google and Facebook realized what kind of control they had over information. They stopped giving the clicks to the publishers. They're like, we, we, we're going to keep our own clicks. And in doing so, they have then cut off the revenue from these publishers because they're still paying news people to go out and investigate the stories. They're still paying for lighting and cooling and heating and all the expenses of running these enormous legacy sized newspaper operations. They've built up staffs of people who are now on their digital side who are creating content strictly for digital. But without the clicks, it's like they're, they're creating it for nobody. So now they're going back to the subscription model and saying, if you want to read this article, uh, it's behind a paywall. And most Americans are saying, I can read the same content. Someone else is reporting on that story for free. So I'll just go somewhere else and read it. And so this is the danger of getting in bed with Facebook and Google. But who could have known at the time? So what I find so interesting about this is, is this last bit in this piece here. Pew's new report sheds light on a plethora of issue issues facing American newsrooms, but this is an epidemic. The affront to America's free press is on with Facebook and Google at the forefront. Journalism in America is facing an existential threat from the monopolistic control of tech giants like Google, Facebook, and Apple. Big tech's dominance over the digital advertising market and their unrivaled capacity to monetize its platforms are having a drastic effect on journalism as a whole. Boy, that is so disheartening. Sounds a lot like the article I wrote about the way the news media was destroying itself with its one-sided bias against gun owners, conservatives, people who believe in the Bible, people who just want to be left alone, people who want to pay lower taxes. And for that article, I was suspended from the Post-Dispatch. Do you guys remember that? And now here they are complaining about the same people treating them badly. Too bad they don't just report the news and act like the fourth estate. They would be immune to Facebook and Google. Now, wouldn't they? All right. That's the show for today. God bless you from the heartland. Holler at you tomorrow.